fences. It's a part of every ranch in the country, and while some components of fencing has changed over the years, for the most part, barbed wire fences are traditionally what's still being used today. But what about high tensile wire fences? Now, if you're just trying to do this because you want to be cutting edge and, and there's not thought and, and purpose behind why you're doing it, then it's not going to work well for you. Jay Clark with Clark Ranch out of Brownwood, Texas, joins me as we discuss barbed wire versus high tensile fencing on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. everyone and welcome again to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host Justin Mills. Thanks again for joining us here today on Rural Radio Channel 147 Sirius XM where you will find us each Saturday right here at 12 noon Eastern. Also, for those of you that like to listen via podcast, well, we are pretty much on every podcast provider out there. So if you search that way, search for Working Ranch Radio Show, and you will find us there as well. On our show today, here's what we have on tap. Jay Clark, Clark Ranch out of Brownwood, Texas. He is going to be joining me. If you listen to the very front end of the program, we're going to be talking about fences, barbed wire versus high tensile. And I know for a lot of folks out there, uh, we're very familiar with barbed wire because that's what we all grew up with, probably. High tensile fencing, now, that might be a little bit different story. Maybe you've messed with it a little bit. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you want to know a little bit more about it. Well, today is the show for you because we're going to be talking about that with Jay Clark and looking forward to that conversation with him. Also, the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine. He will be dropping by in just a few moments with his two cents. And then in our very last segment of the Today, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us with a look at our long-term weather across the country, an update on what the weather's been doing to the corn crop in the Midwest, and also a look at the monsoon moisture and the pattern that's now starting to provide them more clarity on what it's going to look like for summer moisture across much widely droughted area of the country. So join us in our last segment as we take a look at our long-term weather. By the way, I just mentioned a moment ago uh, the captain who is publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine. I wanted to uh, point out an article that is in the latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine. It's uh, on page 36 as Loretta Sorensen has an article in there on pasture management, specifically sagebrush. And I know uh, for a lot of folks, sagebrush is one of those kind of love-hate relationships. Uh, there's some usefulness to it, but at the same time, there's some frustration with it. But good article there in the latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine on pasture management and specifically sagebrush management. Now, if you're not a regular subscriber to Working Ranch Magazine and you are interested in that, couple ways you can do that. Go to their website at workingranchmag.com and you'll find information there to subscribe or also just shoot me an email or give me a call and I can get you pointed in the right direction as well. My email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com or give me a call at 307-363-COWS. Well, before we get too far in our program here today, a thank you to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association, as they've been helping ranchers move their operations forward, providing pedigree knowledge with actual performance records and now adding in very advanced genomics as they are trying to provide more predictability to the producer so that you can make good management decisions that increase profitability back to you. Sim Genetics, 
Profit Through Science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Performance Beef, easy to use. Cattle management software. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Beef Master, nothing beats a Beef Master. Find out more at Beefmasters.org. Also, the Working Ranch Expo that's going to be held December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas during the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. And booths are filling up, and it's going to be an exciting time. I invite all of you to join all of us from Working Ranch Magazine and Working Ranch Radio Show. We will be there, and you can find us right across from Cowboy Christmas, the first ever Working Ranch Expo, December 8th, 9th, and 10th. To find out more, you can go to WorkingRanchExpo.com. And our final sponsor today, Gelvy Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to Gelvy.org. Well, it's time now to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, for this week's Tim's Two Cents. Thank you, Justin. Hey, ranch kids out there, I have an assignment for you, and you better go do it, because I told you to. Go and... Find your grandparents, if they're around, and I want you to interview them. I want you to ask them questions about what life was like when they were a kid. I want you to ask them questions about their beef cattle and their horses and their favorite dog. And maybe they'll show you some of the old photographs. And when you get a good interview, I want you to email it to Justin. He's going to tell you the address here in a second. Now, I want you kids to do this. Clock is ticking. Go do it right now. This is Tim's Two Cents. And now back to Justin, the whiz with the biz. All right. Well, thanks, Captain, for that. And yes, kids, here's what you can do to get those interviews sent to me. My email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Again, it's justin.workingranch at gmail.com. And you can kind of send that pretty much in any format from a computer or your cell phone. You can get that interview into me. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a listen to these that come in, and we will select someone to join me right here on Working Ranch Radio to share that interview with our listeners. So again, to send that to me, my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to begin our conversation with Jay Clark out of Brownwood, Texas, as we talk barbed wire versus high tinsel. Are you on the fence? Well, stay with us. You might move one way or the other when we come back. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And 
Before I introduce my guest, I thought it would be interesting to go back and learn about the history of barbed wire and also learn about the feelings or kind of re-familiarize us with the feelings and emotions about what was considered a newfangled product back in the late 1870s. That was nearly 150 years ago. Now, as I share a little of the history, what I find interesting is how the introduction of barbed wire had a lot to do with the ranchers finding an economical way to fence off their land. Boy, if that doesn't sound familiar. Also, also another interesting fact was fears that they had back then of the barbed wire not working and also frustration by neighbors of this newfangled product. So here's a little of the history. First of all, the first patent for barbed wire was in 1865, but it wasn't until the 1870s before we saw more use of barbed wire for several reasons. One of them was the Civil War. As it had ended, expansion into the West then rapidly began to increase, and so there was a need for fences. However, the traditional fences that had been used in the eastern U.S., things like wood and stone, really it was just too expensive in these large open spaces of the plains. Another technique of hedging was not reliable. And so really, they needed a cost-effective alternative to make cattle operations profitable in order to have their fencing done. So barbed wire's introduction in the West in the 1870s dramatically reduced the cost of enclosing land. But the increased use of barbed wire, it was met with some resistance, first by the big ranchers that had relied on these huge, wide-open ranges for grazing their livestock. Now they saw people encroaching in and, and taking up residence on their deeded land that they wanted them to farm and raise their own livestock. Now, other resistance, well, that came in the form of fear, fear that barbed wire would harm the animals. Also, another fear was that, Would the product even work? However, in 1876, a guy by the name of John Wayne Gates demonstrated barbed wire that it could contain cattle, and he did that demonstration in the military plaza in San Antonio, Texas. Soon after he did that demonstration, orders began flooding into his hotel. Later, he would move to St. Louis, would go on to create the American Steel and Wire Monopoly, which then became part of the United States Steel Corporation. So really... As we sit here today on the fence of barbed wire versus high tensile smooth wire, boy, don't you see a lot of irony in these two types of products. So with that, I want to introduce my guest today. We're going to be heading none other than south to the Lone Star State of Texas, where really there is a lot of history about the introduction of barbed wire to ranching that comes out of the state of Texas. My guest today is Mr. Jay Clark with Clark Ranch out of Brownwood, Texas. And Jay, thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for for putting this together, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, Jay, our main topic, as as we've talked before, is going to be fencing and how things have changed uh, we, you and i talked previously about fencing back in the day was was barbed wire still is today and 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 but there's also some newer technology some newer type of fencing we're going to get to that in a moment but first i i really i guess introduce yourself real quick your ranching operation down in texas and what that incorporates and and uh, you'd said you, you know you got your family's been in the ranching business since 1903 so i guess for folks just so they're aware of who you are and what you're doing Give us a quick update of, of, of your family's ranching heritage. Well, sure. We, you know, we started in 1903 uh, with my great-grandfather. He was a freighter in Hockley County there around Lubbock. And, uh, you know, he uh, took a load of freight down to Burnett, which is just north of Austin, and sold out. And he had filed a claim and 
close to sundown there at the Hockley County line and, and drove a herd of sheep back to sundown on foot in 1903. And, and that's when we got started. And uh, oddly enough, we kind of got out of the sheep business for a long, long time. And uh, we're primarily always a Hereford operation. Dad raised Herefords and granddad raised Herefords. And, and that's what everybody did. And uh, I started at the ranch in 15 and then uh, went to the Ranch for Profit School in 18. And uh, that, that was a, a, a big turning point for our business. Uh, we, you know, like so many others, we'd been a historically kind of a break-even deal. And uh, you had your good years and bad years. And so we've, we've started turning this thing around. And uh, uh, we've been uh, rotationally grazing now for, for a few years. And the, the fencing has played a big big part in that of course anybody making that transition knows that's kind of the the 900 pound gorilla in the room is getting these fences up and operational and uh but we're primarily still you know a hereford uh ranch but we have added uh beef masters the last two years and i feel like they fit our environment a little bit better we added a hair sheep enterprise uh three years ago so we we run quite a few hair sheep and we sell those uh, direct to the packer and, and they end up at grocery stores and, and white tablecloth type of deals, uh, you know, just as quick as they can when they leave the ranch. So we, we've, we've been able to align our operation with, with what we want to see our ranch do, you know, financially, ecologically, and then with, with people. And, uh, so we're, we're really optimistic about, uh, what the future has in store for us. Mm-hmm. Jay, with our main topic today being on fences and fencing, I knew it was a subject that no matter the size or scope of your operation to where you're located, it was a relevant subject. And so for many years, uh, back in back when the ranges kind of started getting broken up a little bit and barbed wire started coming up and being used, now we see some woven wire as well. But some newer technology is also coming down with the use of high tensile smooth wire. And, and uh, it's been around for a few years, but you're starting to see a little bit more of it being used. And so I thought in our show we could we could look at these two. And I know you've uh, put up quite a bit of high tensile, so you're going to be able to give us that experience. I think for a lot of us, we have the knowledge and, and, and ideas of barbed wire. But with that in mind, I guess... First of all, maybe what you would consider to be the pros and the cons of bar- barbed wire, and then follow that up with your thoughts on high tensile. Well, I, I think the biggest thing that you have to keep in mind is that you've got to have a you've got to have a balance there in your toolbox. You know, you, you mentioned earlier all the technology and, and things that are coming through. We, we've got more tools in our box to help us be effective managers than we ever have before. And I think a lot of times we either get in a rut of using what we've always used because that's what we're comfortable with, or we always are looking for the the next silver bullet that's going to fix all of our problems. And 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 both of those uh, approaches are lacking. And so you know if you just look at simple pros and cons, you know probably the biggest pro in our area for for barbed wire is almost everybody knows how to put it up. Um, so you're you can you can relatively find somebody pretty easy to go out there and, and help you with it. Everybody's familiar with it. it. It's ease of access on components. You know, you can go down to the farm store. They always have T posts. They've always got wire. They've always got clips, uh, and 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 that's a definite advantage. And uh, and I will tell you that that there's a level of comfort with the barbed wire because I know that if I have a good barbed wire fence, I'm going to be able to manage most of what I want to do. 
Um, the the downside of that is the cost. Uh, you've got a lot of cost involved in it, and it's and it's very labor intensive. And uh, I know I'm not just in ranching; everybody's having problems with labor right now for for one reason or another. And uh, you know, I I don't think those labor problems are are ever going to go away. You know, you're always going to have those constraints on your business. The the pros to me in our operation uh, for high tensile smooth wire and, and particularly uh, you know with with an electric charger behind it is the the flexibility, and and that's one thing that that is really really important to us is that we're flexible to to be able to change our grazing styles and our grazing patterns, um, you know from day to day or year to year, and then also your your livestock mix. You know we run cattle and sheep in the same pastures. And, uh, you know, if we wanted to add uh, a, a new livestock, uh, you know, we, we can make that adjustment pretty quick. If you've got just a four or five strand barbed wire and uh, you're wanting to add livestock, you know, you may end up adding, you know, quite a bit of labor and expense to, to add that new class of livestock. But that, that to me is the biggest pro for, for the high tensile, particularly with the charger behind it, is just the flexibility in your management. Uh, the next big pro has got to be labor. You know, you can, you can put a lot of fence out in a hurry uh, if you know what you're doing, which is really kind of the con. Um, you know, I was telling you earlier, I, I've built, uh, I built one fence off of YouTube, you know, and I'd, I'd read everything that I could find and watch videos, and I felt like I knew how to build a, a pretty good high tensile fence, and it, you know, I, a stiff breeze would have taken that thing down by the time I was done with it, and I was pretty embarrassed of it. Had wished I was wishing I'd put it in the back pasture where nobody saw mm-hmm. it. Um, but then, you know, we we ended up bringing in a, a contractor from Kansas uh, to to help us build some fence. We built about 12 miles this last year, and that really uh, gave us uh, a good working base of knowledge moving forward. Where, you know, we we know what we can do and uh, we can do it in an efficient manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that's probably the biggest con is just there there's a lot of people especially here in texas that don't know about it uh other places it's more common but you know uh, it, it's it's kind of an oddity in some places mm-hmm. but uh there, there's enough knowledge out there where you can at least get started mm-hmm. in, in terms of maintenance what are you finding with high tensile that you like versus barbed wire the maintenance side of things and how repairs and those kinds of things work in correlation to barbed wire well, probably the biggest thing I've found so far is, is just it's relatively inexpensive to maintain, both from a labor perspective and from a, uh, you know, if you've got brakes or shorts and things like that. If, um, you know, if somebody drives through it or the cow goes through it, you know, most of the time they're not going to break it. Um, you know, it, it'll bounce back pretty good. You might have to splice it here or there, um, but it, it's a relatively simple fix and it, and it requires very little uh, materials. You know, we've all had this happen where you, especially if you've got a perimeter fence, it's barbed wire on a curve or something like that. You, you know that, you know, somebody's going to drive through your fence two or three times a year or, or what have you. And, you know, that, that, that kind of puts your operation to a stop for, for a half day or a day because you got, you got to stop everything you're doing and you may have to get cows off the road. And, um, it, it just takes a little while to put it back together and, uh, most of the time when, when you're patching barbed wire, that splice or that repair, is that's going to be the weak point in your fence moving forward in my experience. Mm-hmm. 
Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jake Clark of Clark Ranch out of Brownwood, Texas, as we are talking barbed wire versus high tensile fencing today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. We'll be back after this. Payday starts with superior Beefmaster cows. Yes, the Beefmaster female has stayed true to her original purpose to help ranchers in tough environments improve performance, survivability, and longevity. So if you're giving up ground in traits that matter, consider Beefmasters. The breed will jumpstart your cattle and give your next calf crop a performance boost. Nothing beats a Beefmaster. Learn more about what the Beefmaster cow can do for your herd at beefmasters.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and my guest today is Jay Clark out of Brownwood, Texas, as we are talking about barbed wire versus high tensile fencing. And Jay, you and I had talked previously, talked about like even on my place up here, <laughs> we were talking about how long barbed wire has been been around. Yeah. And I think I've got some of those, some stretches of fences that were, that were established when barbed wire was first put up because some of that stuff is old. And, mm-hmm. and, and I know a lot of ranches are probably in that mindset where you've got sections of fence that just at some point, you know, you're going to have to take out and replace. And it is uh, natural to gravitate towards barbed wire because that's what we've always had. From your standpoint, is there an advantage of, of not going back in with barbed wire and going in with a multi-strand and how many strands, I guess, would you recommend with a multi-strand high tensile fence? Well, my favorite part is when you name the fence after whoever built it. You know, this was granddad's fence. And this was dad's yeah. fence. That was that high school kid's fence. And you're having to fix that one, you know, a lot sooner yeah. than you did granddad's fence. And <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean, as far as what, what you're selecting, um, I, I think if, if, you, if you put some thought into what you're building and, again, what, what you're wanting to do with your operation, and, and spend some time thinking about that. And, and probably the worst thing anybody could do if, if they listen to this podcast or they listen on Sirius is that they turn around and they go start building fence immediately. And, and I would really, really advise against that. You know, put some thought into what you're doing, but, but why you why you want to do that in the first place. So say you're you're uh, uh, making the transition from barbed wire to smooth wire. You know, one of our big things was we didn't want any iron in the fence at all because we felt like that was just an opportunity for failure. So there, there is no iron in our fences whatsoever. It is all fiberglass, and we used a couple different products to, to get what we wanted, uh, knowing how many wires we were going to put on the fence in certain locations. You know, uh, most of our ranch has either got three wire or one, and, you know, there were places that we wanted one wire because we knew we didn't have a lot of shade in that pasture. And so we wanted to be able to raise that wire up real easy and, and not take a whole lot of time and have to raise three wires to get the cattle to shade. There's other places, you know, where, where we're going to have our, our sheep and other ruminants coming in where we've really got to have three wires as a minimum right now until they get trained. You know, now once they get trained to that, that third wire, well, you take a wire off and then, you know, you can take that material and use it somewhere else or, um, you know, gives you some flexibility. Um, probably the best advice I've got you know, is o- overbuild your exterior, and uh, because that that's where those those big ticket items come. You know, if you get animals out on the road and you got a lot of li- liability. Mm-hmm. 
you talked a little bit ago about uh, with your high tensile fence putting a charge on it and your fence has no metal in it so assuming you're putting a charge on all your fence is there is there any element to building high tensile fence that you wouldn't need a charger for example i guess where that's thought is or question is coming from is watching some guys down in new zealand and australia building that they've been building high tensile fence for years Mm -hmm. and a lot of it isn't necessarily always have a charge on it so is there is there any application where where you can build high tensile fence and it doesn't have a charge on it i think absolutely you know um the you've got to consider what's going to be going on in that area and so uh, we have not replaced any of our exterior fence yet. All, all the fence that we've been building has been on the interior and breaking those pastures up into paddocks. But when we come back and, and build exterior fence, you know, there's, there's a very high likelihood that it's going to be a high tensile smooth wire that doesn't have a charge behind it. Um, you know, so we have the, that protection. You know, if somebody runs through the fence, well, there's a good chance it's going to pop back up as soon as they get out. And uh, it's an easy repair to make. The other, other thing for us, uh, in particular to consider is uh, we've got an uh, event venue that, that hosts weddings and, and uh, conferences and things like that. And it's probably not a good idea to have smooth wire fence out there. That's, you know, clipping along at five, 6,000 volts, you know, you've got people from town <laughs> coming in there and they're wanting to go look at the pond and all that. So, you know, we don't, we don't have any charge there. Um, but now if we need to put a charge there, we can, mm-hmm. and, and that goes back to the flexibility. You know, it's, it's not hard. To, to move things around and, and change it up when you need to. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess that was sort of sort of my thought behind that question as well, is that if you at least have the high tensile in the fence, then you could put a charge at any point in time when you wanted to and, and really Correct. get a little bit more utility out of that fence. But your, your quandary there about um, exterior fences going in high tensile versus the barbed wire, and to me... That is a huge, huge issue, not only for a ranch, but in terms of what are the neighbors going to say? <laughs> well, you know, if if we're going to be worried about what our neighbors say, we need to get in another business. You know, uh, I, th- I think that's kind of what it boils down to. If if uh, if I'm letting my neighbor make my management decisions or influence my management decisions, um, I, I probably need to. Mm-hmm. They need to start doing things differently. Now, it's not to say that they can't have good suggestions, um, but no, I and I I agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying I think you need to be prepared to answer a lot of questions. And oh, a- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you you've got to have some some thick skin, you know, and just kind of brush it off because people are going to talk. And uh, but but I will tell you, you know, I was surprised that it did it started some folks up when we started building fence but it did it didn't have uh the the negative connotation that that i've heard a lot of people talk about and i I think really that's just because there's more information and uh social media and youtube and things like that there's more people that have that have heard of this you know grazing thing or this electric fence than i've ever heard of it before and, uh, you know, I've had several people, they say, well, what are you doing? And I kind of just, I, I try not to word vomit on them, you know, we're, we're putting these paddocks up so we can grow more grass and run more cattle and we're going to do it, you know, just say, I'm just trying to, to put my ranch in a better position to, to do what we want to do. And mm-hmm. a lot of times they say, well, do you think I could come ride around with you one day? So yeah, come on. And then, then you, you got them by the gills at that point. You, 
drop the poly reel and let them watch the the herd move through and you've moved all your cows and checked all your cows in about 10 15 minutes you know and you didn't have to open a feed sack or anything they're, they're mm-hmm. saying this is pretty cool you know <laughs> yeah. so then you kind of got some people going to bat for you it helps mm-hmm. as we we're talking about high tensile fence and, and electricity we're grouping this somewhat into the concept of intensive grazing and i know that's widely used with folks that are looking at have have installed and are utilizing high tensile fence but let's just take that component completely out, and let's just talk from a from just a ranch standpoint. And you're needing to put new fence in, and maybe you have no intentions or no desire to do intensive grazing of any sort. You're just you're wanting to maybe break up a pasture, or you're wanting to replace an existing fence. What are you looking at in terms of costs versus barbed wire fence? That's all you're looking at, in in my opinion, the cost savings is drastic. Um, we, we've got a deal on a, on another operation that, that we're looking at. We quoted some fence out about a month ago and we're looking at $4 and 50 cents, a linear foot for five strand barbed wire. And, uh, you know, you've got to have a lot of money to build very much fence mm-hmm. and at that price point, whereas on the, on the smooth wire, and I don't, I don't have as, as, uh, as accurate a quote as, as on that barbed wire, but, but you're looking at. Um, your cost of materials, you know, three to five cents a foot mm-hmm. uh, for your wire, and then depending what what your needs are, fiber fiberglass, you know, um, it's relatively inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And then again, you you can do more with less. So even even if you don't want to do any of that grazing stuff or or move paddocks, and even if you don't want to charge, just the sheer cost savings is well worth it. Um, you know, I think it was Burke Tackert that. And always talked about we, we're waging a constant war on cost mm-hmm. and uh, i think if you're not doing that then, then you, you need to take a look at, at, at your operation and how it's running because uh, we see everything is going up across the board and uh, you've you've got to always keep that at the forefront of your mind on what, what are we paying for stuff and, and what's the trade-off what are we getting what kind of return are we getting on that dollar mm-hmm. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jay Clark as we get into the specifics on the construction of high tensile smooth wire fencing. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. Update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data at the chute, in the pen, or pasture, or analyze performance trends all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated in one easy-to-use platform accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, as my guest today for this conversation on high tensile fencing is Jay Clark of Clark Ranch out of Brownwood, Texas. And Jay, let's talk specifically about uh, the construction of your high tensile fence. And I know you went anywhere from one to three wire type fence. And as you're as you're talking about this, that keep in mind uh, maybe folks that are thinking about uh, getting rid of barbed wire and putting in up to five wire high tensile, just replacing that barbed wire with high tensile. So let's start at the construction components, the phase of your fence, and the things that you're bringing in as you do construction, your components, and everything that goes into that. 
Sure. I think that where you start is you, you've got to put something up that, that you feel comfortable in. So, so if you're kind of not sure about the high tensile and, and you want to put seven wires up, well, put seven wires up if, if that makes you feel better, you, you know, and, mm-hmm. and don't set yourself up for failure by, well, I'm not really sure, so I'm just going to put one or three wires up. You know, oh, if, if you need to overbuild it, overbuild it, and but do it at a small scale where you can get comfortable with it and, and then move forward. Um, there's lots of ranches that run five, six, seven, you know, high tensile wires, um, and, and, and they do so successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but matching it to your environment is, and, and your needs of your operation is always going to be number one. Mm-hmm. As far as our construction, you know, like I said earlier, it was really important to us that we didn't have any iron at all in the fence. So when we were looking at things like corners and line posts, um, that was something that, that we looked at a lot of different products to see what would fit best. And I, the the contractor actually wanted to put hedge in, and I, and I said, well, what's a hedge? Mm-hmm. He, this was you know, a contractor from Kansas. He said, well, what do you mean, what's a hedge? I said, I don't. I'm from Texas. I don't <laughs> know what hedge is, you know. And uh, that ended up not working out. We ended up getting some oil field uh, fiberglass pipe uh, off of a ranch in the Panhandle, and uh, we we brought in two truck loads of that. They were 40 foot sticks, a 10 inch diameter, and and the the, the wall on that was probably about three quarters of an inch. It's thick, heavy duty stuff. And that was something that we felt like we needed was a, was a heavy duty corner post. So if we, if we needed to add multiple wires in the future, um, that we could, and we would feel good about it. Um, looking at it now, I didn't need that big of a post, but, mm-hmm. but I'm glad I have it because uh, it, it's going to be there. Uh, that, that's going to be granddad's fence one day mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> they're not going to have any problems with granddad's fence. Yeah. So what um, what size was that corner post? We cut those eight foot. Okay. And then we put four foot in the ground and four foot above. And then what we ended up doing just to speed up the construction because we were switching between some soil types and uh, sometimes we could we could pound them in. Sometimes we had to auger them out. We just ran a rock bit after mm-hmm. about the third or fourth day, and we just ran that rock bit the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we didn't really need it, but we just went ahead and used it so we didn't lose that time swapping in and out and then we sacked it in with concrete just to just to make me sleep a little better mm-hmm. at night <laughs> yeah. and uh then our line post it, it's basically like drill stem uh but it's a fiberglass model and uh those are about uh two feet in the ground four feet above and uh I w- i'd like them a little deeper in the ground but but that's what we had to work with they were already pre-cut when we got them so um we rolled on with that, and then we essentially replaced what would have been a T-post with an inch and a quarter fiberglass rod um, that came pre-drilled. Uh, I know you you can do pretty well on a cost savings if you use something like sucker rod, mm-hmm. fiberglass sucker rod, and we uh, we played around with that a little bit. You just take an angle grinder and put your notches where you want them on your post, you know, and, and you can uh, line a bunch of those sucker rods up, and you can you can get that whipped out pretty quick. But we had some issues with the with the wire popping out of the slot and grounding out, so that's why we went with the pre-drilled. Mm-hmm. You know, we can lock those things in, and we don't have to worry about them. Um, and then, of course, we came back and we painted everything that uh, just to just to protect that fence and and take care of it. And, you know, same same you know way if you built a brand new barbed wire fence, you know, you're probably going to weed spray it or, or or something to to keep the brush out of that fence. You know, and, and make your investment last. Mm-hmm. 
in any high tensile fence that I put up, because you can get by with spacing a lot further on your posts, mm-hmm. um, I've had issues with visibility. What have you have you noticed that, or or what do you what do you find with visibility of the fence with livestock? <laughs> this that was probably the biggest thing that that surprised us when, when we got that fence done. After we almost drove into it, I don't know how many times. <laughs> I mean, it would just disappear, and. Uh, it, the biggest thing, you know, painting the post helped tremendously uh, just because it makes those posts pop a little bit more. You don't have kind of that, that fiberglass color that will blend in with mm-hmm. the forge behind it. Uh, I've used some flagging tape uh, on gates, but but a lot of times the cow and the deer and the pigs, uh, they, they'll pick at those. They don't last very long, and then it just ends up blowing off in the pasture, so I've gotten away from that. Um, I, I have gotten some of the uh reflective tape that they use on uh road signs and things like that and put a little square here and there just to kind of make it show mm-hmm. up a little bit better um but but you know once you get familiar with it you know it's it's not that big of an issue mm-hmm. yeah and i've even noticed with livestock before once they know that fence is there they're pretty good it's just that first few educational moments that uh you might have to go back and you know i guess depends on how you hung your wire you might have to go do do something stretch it back up a little bit yeah well you know anytime you get an education there's tuition <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of gates, uh, building gates in in your in your fences in your high tensile fence, what are you doing? Well, uh, I've played with a, with a lot of different things um, from just using the plain high tensile wire and putting some uh, grips on it and, and just kind of your basic economy handle and using number nine wire. That's that's probably about the simplest. Um, I don't love that style. I've done some stuff with the rope as well um but but kind of what i've settled in on is, is using aircraft cable uh if you use an eighth inch or three thirty seconds uh depending on on y- your components uh you can use your crimps and get along just fine with that and but that airplane cable has a lot more oomph behind it it's not gonna crinkle up you know and and uh it's just it pulls through the grass a lot better Mm-hmm. And so that that's what I've been going to is using that air, aircraft cable. Seems to work really, really well. Mm-hmm. For the corners and the gates, are you putting in using the traditional H brace or a floating brace, or do you use go a different route with your corners and gates? Well, on the YouTube fence, I, I, I tried a couple different things, and, and I, I won't even tell you what I've tried because I don't want anybody to go back to those <laughs> bad ideas. Um, with, with that 10-inch fiberglass, it's a single post. It, it it's stout enough. Uh, you don't you don't need an H brace. You don't need you know anything else. It's plenty stout enough because um, that eight foot section that's about all a a, a good sized man can pick up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it's stout and it's heavy and it it won't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. When you put those posts in, do you put them in at any sort of an angle or are they just straight up and down? I I just put them straight up and down. Mm-hmm. So, so you're talking about using a lot of fiberglass in your in your fence because you didn't want any metal in the fence. And I know that's kind of a anybody that has done a lot of electric fence really touts the fact that you know try not to have any metal in your electric fence. But sometimes, you know, for example, our operation here we have a lot of old pipeline that's around, mm-hmm. and so you have it. So that's easy. That's it's cheap. It's easy to use because we have it here. Sure. It's four and a half inch gas line that we can use for for corner corner posts and those kinds of things. 
incorporating metal in there might be something that somebody has to look at. What's your thoughts regarding that? Well, I think it goes back to your systems and how you how you design things. You know, be thoughtful and be thinking about, you know, who's going to be taking care of this. You know, if 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 uh, dad's a little bit older and he's putting this fence in, and you know, be thoughtful of who's going to be taking care of this down the road. That way, you set something up that's going to work well. If you've someone that that's got a lot of employees, you know, you're you're going to end up with with a with a system that matches your employee. And but if that's who we're designing it for. Uh, that's going to give you some protection moving forward. Mm-hmm. As far as doing, doing, uh, you know, having some iron in your fence, um, it, it's a little more labor, but one of the better things that I've seen is, uh, you know, they take, they've got their metal post in the ground and they take a piece of coal roll and they weld it on and they heat it up and they bend it around one of those donut insulators where it, it's going along the outside of the donut insulator. Mm-hmm. And then they can run their high tensile wire, through the center of that donut but when you've got that thing welded on top and bottom it's not going anywhere if if uh, livestock or hits it or, or a vehicle hits it or something like that you know for for that thing to fail your donut's going to have to crack or the weld's going to have to break where do you want it to fail at when it does fail and ideally we'd have it fail on those you know whatever you're using for your basically your t-post whether that's a rod or or a t-post style insulator that can break off it's easily replaced you know so as long, long as we, we put thought into what we want it to do who's going to be using it and then how are we going to put this thing back together when we do have issues you know i think you'll be in good shape mm-hmm. when i think about uh, some differences between uh, your high tensile fence and you're going in with fiberglass versus a steel post if you're going to use that for a line post uh, and I think it's a matter of you, you got to weigh this out uh, I think you can probably put in T-posts even though high uh, metal prices are high I think uh, you can probably put those in somewhat maybe a little cheaper than fiberglass but uh, one of the things I notice is that fiberglass uh, the advantages of that is the ability for that fence to bounce back uh, especially with high tensile where it doesn't temp- typically break that fence bou- mm-hmm. bounces back and then comes back where with a metal post if it bends it stays there yes and, and probably you know one of the biggest things i've seen is anytime places we have issues with with t-posts and such um, they get forgotten you know uh, you're, you're, you're hurrying and you're trying to, trying to get your fence fixed for whatever reason. And then you end up leaving that T post bent over. And then you, you sure enough, you find it one day with the front of the pickup or something. <laughs> uh, so I, I think we've all been there, but it's definitely an advantage. You know, you, you've got a little bit more, uh, staying power, I guess that, that, that thing can bounce back pretty quick. That's mm-hmm. definitely an advantage for sure. Mm-hmm. We'll keep it right here because when we come back, we're going to wrap up our conversation with some final comments from Jay Clark regarding our subject today on high tensile fencing versus barbed wire fencing when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. For commercial cow-calf producers, crossbreeding with Galvay and Balancer is the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. Galvay and Balancer females offer maternal superiority through increased fertility, greater longevity, and more pounds of calf weaned per cow exposed. In the feed yard, Balancer cattle can offer increased performance, improve feed efficiency, and have excellent carcass merit. Balancers add the pounds, make the grade, and deliver the value. Galvey and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to galvey.org. 
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and my guest today is Jay Clark out of Brownwood, Texas. We've been talking on high tensile fencing. And Jay, before we finish up here, just some final thoughts from you, because I think when we look at, at fencing, it's such a tradition, and it's a it's a mandated tradition. I mean, that's just because we need to have fences on our operation, and so many uh, places have inherited ranches or bought in ranches that you have fence on the place, and it's a continual maintenance, like I said at the front end of the show. And so how do you incorporate this? Um, sometimes there's really a pushback when you start bringing in something new. But when we look down the road 25, 30 years, what are we going to see on the ranches when it comes to fencing? You know, I, I think you just, you, you've got to be, you got to be able to step back and, you know, think about what did people start saying when people were, uh, we started putting iron in the fences and drill stem and they moved away from all the wooden posts and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And that there's, there's always going to be some resistance there, but you know, if, if you, if you have a little bit of people skills and you come forward and, uh, you know, this is, this is something that I think can help my operation or if junior's talking to dad and trying to talk him into this or, or, or maybe the, the neighbors wearing dad out or the fence salesman or whatever, you know, if, if we're, if we have alignment between what we want to, see our ranch do you know if that's aligned with with what our purpose is moving forward and this is a tool if this tool helps you achieve that then it's a good thing now if you're just trying to do this because you want to be cutting edge and and there's not thought and and purpose behind why you're doing it then it's not going to work well for you and i think as we you know think about what what's ranching going to look like in the next 25 years and what our fence is going to look like in the next 25 years the the technology is just clipping along so fast. I mean, there's there's no telling uh, what it'll look like. There's so many cool things out there right now from uh, you know people using uh, cell phone technology to monitor their water points and um, you know how much grass folks are taking. And there's there's really no telling where it's going to go. And, and I think as long as we keep you know, in, in our mind, you know, how does this align with what I'm wanting to do with my operation and what our purpose is? And if that's going to help move our operation forward, then, then I think it's something you need to try. Mm-hmm. Jay, I know for you, I mean, it was this, your education came from a lot of YouTube videos and the fencing company that you hired. But is there some resources that you would recommend for folks that would would want to explore a little bit more of high tensile fencing? Well, the, the best resource, without a doubt, is you need to find somebody who's doing it. And whether they're a fence contractor or whether a, a ranch that's already employing this, this type of fence, go work with them for a couple of days or a weekend. And, and you will learn more about how to install and construct it doing that than anything else. YouTube is a fantastic resource. Uh, NRCS Noble um grazing lands coalitions they're all out there they've got great resources but but in my experience by far the best resource is to go out there and get get your boots on the ground maybe get shocked a time or two if you're lucky (laughs) and and, you know learn learn how they're doing it what works well for them you know someone in your environment that has similar conditions you know that that's going to be a really good resource but uh and the only thing that i'd caution you is take it all with a grain of salt because that's what works well for them Mm. And, and it may not necessarily work well for you, and you may have to change it. You know, the worst thing you could do is say, well, I'm going to build my fence exactly the way they did because that's the way they did it. Um, you know, be flexible and, and, and be curious and, and try new things. And, 
you know, if, if, if you screw it up, you screw it up. But, you know, a, a lot of us have done that. And it, it'll, it'll turn out all right in the end. You'll be better for it. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, I appreciate you taking your time here on a busy morning for you to get the, the week started here. But I appreciate you joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, I'm just happy to be on here and, and thank you for, for reaching out. And uh, if anybody has any questions or anything like that, they can they can find me on Facebook or uh, get in contact with me and, and I'll do whatever I can to help you. All right. Jay Clark of Clark Ranch out of Brownwood, Texas, my guest here today as we talk on high tensile fencing. By the way, I was just visiting with the captain off air who wanted me to remind you all that there's a very good article that ran on page 22 of last year's June-July issue of Working Ranch by our very own Terry Dreeling. It's titled, That's Stretching It, and it features some great information on high tensile fencing. And if you want even more, head over to Becker Fence Product website. Plenty of good info in there as well. Well, stay with us. Meteorologist Don Day joins us in our next segment with a look at our long-term weather. How would you like an easier way to organize and manage your ranch records? It's easy with CattleMax, the software for people who raise cattle. CattleMax brings all your ranch records together in one place. Manage your cattle data, including health treatments, breeding, and calving. Ranch records, such as equipment inventory and maintenance income and expenses. It works for any size herd. See how easy it is to manage your ranch records. Start free now at cattlemax.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. We're joined now by meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather And, Don, we've talked a lot here on the show about the monsoon weather uh, coming up into North America. And as more of that is taking place, is it giving you a real clear indication of what it's going to look like for this season? It looks like a a textbook North American monsoon. Textbook in the sense that the pattern that we've come to recognize that drives that subtropical moisture from Mexico and Central America into North America is taking shape. What you need is you need a large area of high pressure to develop over the central plains and have it kind of sit there for several days, allowing the the clockwise spin that you get around these high pressure systems to draw that moisture further northward uh, than it normally is. And when we get into June and early July, this monsoonal moisture is usually down in the in the desert southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, getting into the Four Corners area, and certainly those areas I just mentioned have been getting some rains, and uh, there's been some real good rain in some of the desert southwest over the last couple of weeks. But we need to see this moisture expand northward to help out parts of the central and northern Rockies, parts of the northern and central plains that could use some moisture. And what we're likely going to see over the next 14 to 21 days is what we call, Justin, the ring of fire. You get that high pressure centered over Kansas, Oklahoma, Around the periphery of that high-pressure ridge, as the air moves around it, you get thunderstorms that will go from Mexico through the Four Corners region, up through the central and parts of the northern Rockies, then curve eastward into parts of the northern plains, and then eventually turn southeastward into some areas of the Corn Belt. So there's going to be increasing rains coming, but there's also going to be some areas that are going to dry out a bit. You know, One area that we're watching is going to be Kansas, Oklahoma, the Texas Panhandle region, and maybe those eastern plains of Colorado, you're going to be surrounded by showers and thunderstorms. But since you'll be underneath that high, there won't be as much rain as compared to the edges in that ring of fire area. 
Mm-hmm. You're talking about a little more moisture starting to take shape. Are we still going to see the pretty high uh, temperatures that we're seeing, especially across the northern tier of the U.S. from the west coast to the east coast? We are definitely going to continue with the heat. Now, the thunderstorm activity will increase the clouds. And when you get precipitation, that kind of acts like a little bit of a mini air conditioner, and that's going to cool temperatures off. So relative to normals, the warmest conditions will still be from the Pacific Northwest across the northern Rockies and into the northern plains. Now, are we talking off the charts record-breaking heat? No, but we are talking about midsummer heat that's going to be a bit of oppressive. And we increase that humidity from this monsoon moisture flow, that extra humidity. You know, that's what will make those heat indexes go up as well. So there is going to be some heat with that increasing chance of showers and thunderstorms and really no significant cool down. Now, at the same time, as you go into the last half of July into early August, you just don't get cold fronts. You just don't get anything meaningful as we are entering the warmest time of the year uh, over the next four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks again for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show with a look at our long-term weather. Thanks for having me. Meteorologist Don Day with a look at our weather. And if you enjoy his weather forecast, I'd encourage you to go to his website at dayweather.com. He kicks out a video podcast every Monday through Friday. You can find a link to that YouTube channel on his website. A thank you to my other guests as well for joining us on the Working Ranch Radio Show today. Mr. Jay Clark of Clark Ranch out of Brownwood, Texas, and the Captain Tim O'Byrne. A thank you to our sponsors, the American Simmental Association. Sim Genetics is profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Galvey Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to Galvey.org. Beefmaster, nothing beats a beefmaster. Find out more at beefmasters.org and finally join us in december 8th 9th and 10th in las vegas for the first ever working ranch expo to find out more go to workingranchexpo.com well the working ranch radio show is a production of the working ranch magazine join us each saturday right here at 12 noon eastern on rural radio channel 147 sirius xm or on your podcast provider. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. Mm -hmm.